Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Please join me in a word of prayer. Father, we are anxious about many things. And Father, we, we know that you are the one, the only one, who can take that anxiety away. And Father, we know that we're cumbered about many things. There's many things that come to us, physical problems. Uh, there could become financial problems, family problems, relational problems of all, sort, of all sorts. And Father, we, we become anxious. We want to bring about the outcome by yourself. But Father, we, when we do, when we become anxious, we lose our focus. Our focus is not set on you. It's not set on Jesus. It's not set on sitting at Jesus' feet and hearing from him and being discipled by him through the word and through others. Oh, Father, help us. And we pray that you'd be with us today and you would be with uh, Pastor Larry as he comes and as he's going to expound this passage. We pray that you would even fill him now with the Holy Spirit. We pray that you'd work mightily in his life. And Father, we pray that you would work in our lives because this is your design, that we've come here today to hear from the word, to praise you, to lift you up, to glorify you. So Father, give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to receive the word. And Father, by all means, change our hearts and make us and mold us into the image of Christ, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, you've, you've asked me the question a number of times. How was your sabbatical? So I'll just tell you another little something that happened on sabbatical. Um, while I was on my sabbatical, uh, Michelle and I had a conflict, an argument perhaps, you might call it. We don't scream and yell at each other, praise God, but uh, it was an, uh, a conflict nevertheless. There were tears shed. Those of you that know us understand that the tears were not mine. And also this conflict was playing out and these tears were being shed. It was about one o'clock in the morning. And those of you that know us think that's very odd because our lights are usually out at around 9 p.m. Um, I, I'm, not, I'm not wanting to make light of it. Uh, my, my wife had a legitimate reason to be exasperated. Uh, the matter at hand under discussion that early morning was the lack of clarity and direction that we had for our children, that we'd been giving our children a lack of clarity about their use of 
mobile devices, screen time, you might call it. And、uh, my wife's frustration, I believe legitimate frustration, about my passivity and laziness in not leading us well in that regard, so that she was regularly the one who was, quote unquote, the bad guy, having to deal with these issues and bring correction. While I I wasn't really tending to that as I ought to as a leader,、uh, we got through the night, and the next morning I knew I needed to do something. I wasn't sure what to do, but I I was reminded of a book and reached for a book that was on our bookcase that I had read some years ago and apparently not done a very good job at applying.、Uh, a book called The Tech Wise Family by Andy Crouch. And I read through that book、uh, over the next week or so, and something clicked as I read the book.、Uh, our family is very much a work in progress、uh, in this regard. Interesting that my two daughters are not here to hear this particular sermon right now. They are busy serving, as a passage of scripture we've heard talked about、uh, mentions. But、uh, our family is a work in progress. But what I really learned during this time was that the issue wasn't so much first about our family, but it was about my own issues. It was about the way my own unwise and undisciplined use of media and technology had been distracting me more regularly than I was aware of, and doing some damage to my soul, and I think negatively affecting my ministry,、uh, even to you all,、uh, uh, and of course to my family as well. I don't think I'm alone in feeling that pull of digital、uh, distraction. Uh, according to one study, I'm guessing it's outdated because it's a few years old, and these things I think change rapidly. But according to one study, about five years old,、uh, we check our smartphones about 81,500 times per year, and that works out to once every 4.3 minutes. Which means while I'm preaching right now, some of you may be grabbing for your phone between 10 and 15 times. Uh, I'm not wanting to give you a lecture. I did not come up here to give you a lecture about the dangers and the advantages of technology.、Uh, I'm happy to give you that lecture after the sermon. Teenagers, come get it after the sermon. Okay, I'll be right out there, outside on the steps.、Um, because it's not just devices. For me, that was a doorway for me into thinking about this whole issue of distraction. But. But distractions come flooding into our lives, and it's not only through technology. Uh, one uh, professor of philosophy has noted: we live in a very loquacious, noisy, distracted culture. It is difficult to serve God with our heart, soul, strength, and mind when we are diverted, and distracted, and multitasking everything. And I wonder if you've experienced a little bit of that in your own lives: feeling stressed, feeling anxious, distracted, easily irritated, restless,、uh, maybe unable to focus for sustained periods of time,、uh, often being present physically in a place, but not really mentally engaged in that place that you are are at.、Uh, we can become. One author has said we can become so unfocused in life. That we get lost in the unforgiving wheel of daily tasks and fail to listen to the voice of Christ. And what has particularly been piercing to me is that even serving Christ can be part of that unforgiving wheel by which we fail to listen to the voice of Christ. 
and that's what I want to talk to you about this morning, uh, and it's what I want to draw your attention to from this passage. Uh, for these weeks in July, it's a little bit different. I don't, I don't normally think it's a good practice in a church where a pastor just gets up and preaches on the passage that is really dear to his heart that week. Um, we preach normally through books of the Bible, and we will get back to the book of Acts in the fall. We'll do some Psalms in August. But for these few weeks coming off the sabbatical, I wanted to share with you some passages of Scripture that have been dear to my heart, hopefully that you might be edified and that you might be strengthened with some of the things that you were kind enough to allow me to be thinking about while I was on sabbatical over these months. And this passage of Scripture has been very challenging to me. It has been very dear to me. It has cautioned me about the dangers of, of even when we're serving Jesus, that that can get in the way of our enjoying Jesus. I think that's really the lesson of this passage. It's the main idea I'd want you to take away from this time together. Beware, brothers and sisters, beware of prioritizing activity for Jesus over intimacy with Jesus. Beware of prioritizing activity for Jesus over intimacy with Jesus. Or another way that we could put that would be your service for Christ can pull you away from enjoying Christ. And we ought to be diligent to see to it with the Spirit's help that we not allow that to happen. Now, to help us think about this, I want you to consider two, two points. I alliterated them. Noah's was excited about that. Uh, point number one, a disciple's distraction. Point number two, a disciple's decision. Distraction, decision. And as you, as you hear both of these points, as you listen to God's word for the rest of this time, do, do labor in your souls to try to remember that Jesus loves you. First, let's consider a disciple's distraction. That is what we learn from this passage in observing Martha and Jesus' words to Martha in the text. Uh, it is a picture, I, 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 I labeled both of the points a disciple's distraction because I do want to make sure that we note that even though Martha is somewhat of a negative example in this passage, uh, Martha does love Jesus. Uh, she, we know that because she has welcomed Jesus and, and the disciples into her home. That was probably a sizable crew that was uh, coming to stay with her. And she's welcoming them into her home. And she's doing that at a time, we're told in chapter 9, verse 53, when many would not receive Jesus. They would not be welcoming Jesus. And we know also in chapter 9 that Jesus has begun to talk about how he is soon going to be rejected and killed by the religious leaders. We don't know for sure that Martha, Martha was aware of that at the time, but she's taking somewhat of a risk hosting Jesus. She is receiving Jesus. And so, uh, yes, one of these sisters is clearly a positive example to us in the passage, and the other is generally a negative example. I do want to make sure that we affirm and recognize that both of these sisters loved Jesus, and we know from John chapter 11, verse 5, that Jesus loved both of them. But this is not Martha's finest moment, I don't think. Uh, from her posture here, we learn that someone can love Jesus 
yet be wrongly, sinfully distracted in our serving of Jesus. The problem was not the fact that she served. Jesus is pro-serving Jesus. Earlier in this chapter, it's interesting the way this chapter plays out because you have Jesus sending out uh, some basically on a missionary journey. So Jesus is pro-missions. We serve the Lord in missions. He, right before this passage, he talks about the, it's the parable of the Good Samaritan where he commends the Samaritan who sacrificially served the needs of someone he saw on the street. And he's commending that as the way that his followers ought to, ought to live. So Jesus is not against service. The problem was not that Martha was serving. The problem I I like the way Charles Spurgeon put this succinctly. Her fault was that she grew cumbered, that is, distracted. She grew cumbered with much serving so that she forgot him and only remembered the service. It's a good thing to serve, but she was serving forgetfully. She was serving in a way where she had lost her mindfulness of who it was that she was serving. And I don't think it's an overstatement to say that the fruit of that distraction was sin. I said she was, I believe I said a moment ago, that she was sinfully distracted. Her distraction here seems to lead to some level of frustration or irritation with her sister for not doing her part, not helping the way she ought to have been. And she seems to be feeling some self-pity Lord, don't you care? I'm, I'm doing all this work by myself. Why don't you tell her to help me? And did you notice how she, she inter- I mean, I, miss, I don't know exactly if he was in mid-sentence, but she's, Jesus is teaching, and she just interrupts Jesus. And she seems to sort of get in Jesus' face a little bit, like, Jesus, don't you care? He, he's accusing, she's accusing Jesus of not caring about her plight. And then she starts commanding Jesus what to do. Tell her to help me. I don't know that it came in that tone. It's okay, I'll just, I'm, just, I'm just loud. But, but I, there's something, there's noise in her heart. I mean, that's what Jesus says. You're, just, you're troubled and you're anxious about many things as she's seeking to serve him. And I know something about that. Uh, I know what it's like to be serving Jesus, loving Jesus. I love Jesus. I should get up here and say that from time to time. I love Jesus. Unbelievers around us, I think, well, brothers and sisters, we need to hear other, we need to talk like that, but I think that the unbelieving people in our lives need to hear us say sometimes, I love Jesus. That's not in my notes, but I do love Jesus. And I seek to serve Jesus. But I have known my share of impatience and insensitivity. I know what it is to be critical of others that don't think like me. Uh, I know what it is to be easily irritated in a way that probably makes it difficult to serve with me. And that's sad. Uh, I was pierced in, in the words of one commentator who, who, who said about this passage, if serving Christ makes us difficult to live with, then something is terribly wrong with our service. And I don't think it's just about who we live with, but if, if serving Christ makes us difficult to serve with, then something's terribly wrong with our service. 
Martha's life does not seem to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit, even as she is serving Jesus. It is possible for someone to love Jesus, but to confuse activity for Jesus with closeness to Jesus. It is possible to do stuff for Jesus without Jesus. And Jesus is warning us through this passage to not be okay with that. To not be okay with doing things for Jesus without Jesus. Martha shows us that there is something unhealthy about a person who cannot sit still and listen. That's what he's commending Mary for. She sat and she listened. And some of us have a very hard time sitting and listening. Sometimes we make jokes about it. I can't sit still. I always need to be on the run. I think Jesus might tenderly rebuke such a person. It is good to be busy. I'm not commending that we should just sit around all day, every day. But I think Jesus might tenderly, he's he's very tender with Martha here. He might rebuke such a person who may be very well-meaning and may have a lot of good things to do and may be desirous even of serving Jesus in those things that you've lost your focus on Jesus and you've lost your focus on that one thing that is truly necessary, which is to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to him. So I'm, I'm asking you, I, I want you to know that I've done a lot of heart work and heart searching from this passage about my own life. So questions now that I will pose to you are questions that I have been grappling with and continue to grapple in my own life. Do you need a, a rebuke from Jesus? Uh, I did. And Jesus is very kind and he's very loving and he's very faithful in, in how he hands out rebukes. He does that for our good. But do, do any of you need this kind of rebuke flowing from this passage? Are you too busy for Jesus? If you were to uh, go out with Jesus for a cup of coffee tomorrow morning, And if he was to maybe do a review with you of of your last week, maybe your last month, would he have cause to say to you, I'm not going to put a name in here because that would be mean, you know, but Christian, Christian, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Would he have occasion to say to you, I see you're very busy. I see you're very active with a lot of things. And there's good things there. I see you're anxious and troubled about many things. And there really are heavy burdens that you bear. But one thing is necessary. And it's to sit at my feet and to listen to my words. To fellowship with me. And you don't seem to have time for me. Would he have occasion to say that to you? Uh, I I don't know how it is for you Android phone users, but uh, those of you with the the iPhone, 
I'm not going to call you out, don't worry. But maybe you got a notification even while you're sitting there. Do you get those notifications that says, here's your weekly screen time? I don't think I ever remember signing up for that notification, but it comes, and it usually comes on Sunday morning at 9 o'clock in the morning. Weekly, <laughs> weekly report available. Thank you. I didn't know. I was looking for it. Your screen time, and it'll tell you, was up or down some percentage last week for an average of you know, blank hours and minutes per day. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you get Android users? Do you have something similar to that? I don't know how that works, but would, would there be cause for shame if right after that notification, you had another one come in, weekly report available, you're sitting at Jesus' feet this past week was an average of blank hours and minutes. Would you just shrink back over the disparity between the two? I understand some of you, you said, I need my phone for this. I'm not, I didn't sell my phone. I still have my phone. Not on me. But I'm not saying get rid of the phone. But would you have occasion, occasion to be ashamed of the disparity between the two? How many of you in a given week spend more time in the shower or looking in the mirror and tending to your outward appearance or mindlessly surfing is Instagram still? Is that a thing still that people do? <laughs> Young, yeah, some, maybe. Or whatever the, the digital distraction might be for you, more time on those things than sitting at the feet of Jesus and learning from his word. Jesus loves us. Jesus is gentle with us, but Jesus may be in need of rebuking us. It's not a small thing to be so busy with everything else that we don't have time for Jesus. It, it, it betrays, it, it, it undermines our love for him, it undermines his worthiness, and it, it, it is a way in which we are, whether we even realize it or not, questioning the value of, of him in our lives. Jesus says this is the one necessary thing. It's, it's, the, it's a necessary aspect of devotion to Jesus. I might even say it's the necessary aspect of devotion to Jesus that we would be attentive to his words. Psalm 119, may, may we be able to say with the psalmist, the Lord is my portion, I promise to keep your words. There'll be no resolve to keep his words if we're not receiving his words. Jesus said of his own words, the words I've spoken to you are spirit and they are life. His words are life. Oh, may, we, may we be able to say with Job, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. His word is better than our daily portion of food. His word is better than bacon, Noah. It's better than bacon even. Martha, is, is, she is busily serving the needs of Jesus but she is needlessly distracted with the bread that perishes. She's eating the bread of anxious toil, even as the bread of life dwells in her midst. So we, we, we sang, uh, uh, my Jesus, I love thee, uh, all of the follies of sin I resign. And I, as I've been singing these songs, I've been thinking, 
you can, you can resign follies. We, some of us, we may need to resign service to be loving Jesus. We, we sing, when I, when I rise and when I die, give me Jesus. And that's, praise God, if we can say that, when I die, give me Jesus. We should also say, when I go to serve, give me Jesus. And I have seen a failure in my own life to be walking in that way as I ought to be walking. This is a way that you can always be praying for other members of this church. That, that they would, in, in a world that is full of hurries and worries, that we would be people who retreat from the cares and stresses and burdens of this life to spend time with Jesus, to sit at his feet and learn from his word. Uh, to the men here, to those who are heads of households here, I would want to exhort you. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to be candid with you. I'm no finished product on any of these matters, okay? But I would exhort you that it is your responsibility, men, to lead the family to the feet of Jesus and to not let the cares of life and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things choke out your personal fellowship with Jesus or your family's fellowship with Jesus. So brothers, I would, I would ask you, do, do, do your loved ones, does your wife, do your children, if you have wife and children, do they know that the one necessary thing, even if it means setting aside other good things, for the day or the week, do they know that the one necessary thing is to be with Jesus and to enjoy Jesus? We, we talk a lot about how busy we are and how much time we lack. And I'm not just speaking to the brothers now, I'm just speaking to us. Our schedules can lie to us. Our desires can lie, lie to us. I think ultimately it's our pride that lies to us. To think that there's ever a day that goes by when the most necessary thing for us is, is, is not to sit at his feet and linger with him in the word and talk to him about what he's saying to us in prayer and to sing his praises it is the one necessary thing, no matter what the issues of the day are or how pressing and burdening they feel. And I realize that in this room, there are a lot of pressing burdens. But I, and I can tell you from my own life and experience, there are seasons where I feel so pressed and burdened that I shrink back from sitting at the feet of Jesus because I would actually just think it's more important that I be laboring and fretting and thinking about the stuff that I need to figure out. But I can tell you that those seasons when I am inclined, when the inclinations of my sinful nature still tug at me and pull me away to focus on other things, I can tell you that the one thing I really need, that those are the times that I need to be sitting at Jesus' feet. The times when it is the most difficult is the times when I'm in the most desperate need of it. George Mueller some of you know the name George Mueller. He was famous in the 19th century for his uh, founding of orphanages. I trust that with his work, he was a busy man. 
He cared for hundreds, if not thousands, of, of orphans over the duration of his life. I think it was thousands of, of orphans over the duration of his life. And there were times, if you've read any of the biographies about George Miller, there would be times like they would wake up and they didn't have food. And he would have to lead them, like, talk about pray for daily bread. He was literally praying for daily bread. They did not have food. So this man, he wasn't just busy, but he, was, he had real anxious troubles, I would imagine. Here is what he said at the age of 60 years old. According to my judgment, the most important point to be attended to is this. Above all things, see to it that your souls are happy in the Lord. Other things, it's almost, I don't know, it, was, it almost seems like he's meditating upon this passage of scripture. I don't know that. Other things, he says, may press upon you. The Lord's work may even have urgent claims upon your attention. But I deliberately repeat, it is of supreme and paramount importance that you should seek above all things to have your souls truly happy in God himself. Day by day, seek to make this the most important business of your life. He says, this has been my firm and settled conviction for the last five and 30 years. If you're counting at home, that's 35 years. That was his practice. 17, uh, 17 years after that, he wrote again, I saw more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. And I could give you more quotes about how he says that, that that happiness comes from meditating upon God's word and his promises and turning it back to him in prayer. So, so I, would, I would encourage you. You get messages like this and there's a, we're a, we're a, it is so hard. I've said this to some of you privately. It's so hard preaching a sermon to a group of whatever we are, 200-ish people, 180 people here, because some of you are like, just feel like you're the most worthless human being alive right now because of how little you've spent time with Jesus, and you shouldn't be feeling like that. And some of you don't seem to care that you don't actually spend time with Jesus. And, and it's hard to minister the word specifically to each of you. Feel free to come to me if you're feeling in one of those camps, okay? Like, we, we, this, this sermon is not meant to be the final word. It's meant to be actually a word that moves us and directs us and guides us. It's something to talk about after the service. It's something to talk about at lunch. It's something to talk about in your small groups or however it is that you're fellowshipping with others. But I would just encourage you to not just, some, some of us hear this and we're like, I'm gonna, do, I'm gonna do two hours a day now for every day for the rest of my life. Just Maybe just think about the next week. Just think about seven days, right? I've heard that. Just think about seven days. And put it at the top of your priority list. That the great and primary business of every day for this coming week would be to have your soul happy in Jesus. And maybe even just talk about that next week, about how this week went. That's the decision that Mary made. Okay? If you're still taking, if you're still wondering where we are in an outline, distraction, Mary made a decision. She said, when I rise, when there's stuff going on around me, she said, give me Jesus. 
She said, in the words of Psalm 16, I have set the Lord before me. I have no good apart from him. She made a decision. It is a daily decision that we must make. It is a resolve that we must make to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to him. It's, it's easy for us to drift away from that kind of unhurried, undistracted devotion to Jesus. Sitting at the feet of Jesus, whether it's our, us personally or collectively, corporately, it, it never just happens. It's a decision that we must make. I was so encouraged this morning over in the Hope House because of a decision that you, Jeff Crispin, made and your life group, and I'm going to forget every single name of people that I saw over there, but I know that Carol was there too, and no, Carol wasn't there. Carol was here, busy with much serving in a good way, I'm sure. Uh, Dave was there, and well, two couple Daves were there, and Nancy and Louise, and um, there were others of you that were there. Tom Doan. Buck and Cindy, he's giving me the name. That's right, keep them coming. Am I missing anybody? This is a wonderful thing because we're having a lunch. Louise, I said Louise. I said Louise. I did say Louise. Where's Louise? She's there. They were, you know, we're having a luncheon. I think this is the classic, you know, it's like we're going to get people. Bit. They're all sitting here. They're sitting here now. They were there early getting stuff in order. Now they're sitting worshiping. They did not make a decision, which I have heard about some people making from time to time. And if you ever hear about this decision or are thinking about this decision yourself, you can go to this passage of Scripture. They did not make the decision, which I have heard some people make, where they decide they're not going to come to church because they're getting ready to have people over after church for a meal. I think Jesus would say it's okay if the meal's not amazing or if the meal takes a little extra time. I think Jesus would want us here. And I'm just grateful that this morning your life group set us an example by getting some service ready ahead of time so they could be here worshiping the Lord with us. It's a decision that needs to be made because it doesn't just happen naturally. We, we need to make learning from him and setting apart time to be with him a priority. And so Jesus says in his commendation of Mary, he, he doesn't actually speak directly to Mary, but he's talking to Martha. He says, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary, Mary has chosen. That's why I'm saying decision, because, you know, I like alliteration. I could have said Mary's choice, but that wouldn't be alliterated, right? She made a decision. She made a choice. She chose the good portion, which would not be taken, which will not be taken away from her, Jesus said. She made a decision. She made a choice, and it was a good choice, because she chose the good portion. When we are distracted... When we are anxious, when we are troubled about many things, and I know that you have occasion, you have a reason to be troubled and distracted, when we're too busy for Jesus, it's not ultimately our schedules that are controlling us, but it's actually our inability in that moment to rightly assess the value and worth of Jesus that is actually controlling that decision. And Jesus wants us to know, because it's preserved here in God's word for us, he wants us to know that in this moment, Mary got it right. She chose the good portion. She said with the psalmist, as we heard Jeff read earlier from Psalm 16, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. 
She, she chose to say with the psalmist in Psalm 73, whom have I in heaven but you, and on earth there's nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. She said, it is good for me to be near God. And we know that theologically speaking, in terms of, of, in a saving way, that right estimation, that right valuing that Mary had for Jesus was itself the fruit of Jesus' goodness in her life. Do you still have your Bibles open? I know I haven't been driving you to the text of Luke 10 a whole lot in this particular sermon, but if you're, if you're still open there in Luke chapter 10, look at what Jesus says in verse 22. At this point, he had sent some out on a missionary journey. They're talking about the amazing things that they've seen. And Jesus says to them, I mean, he's going on. I'm not going to read the whole passage. But in verse 22, he says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So Mary later in this chapter, she is rightly assessed. She sees Jesus. I need to be with him. How'd that happen? Because she was smart? No. Because she was humble? There was some humility there. It came, but, but what happened was God the Holy Spirit revealed to her something of the worth and the glory of Jesus, and so she needed to be there. Nobody assesses Jesus rightly without the gracious work of the Lord. It is our natural condition that we would be not inclined, that we would be disinclined to seeing Jesus as our portion and as our reward. God's word says that all of us humans we're in and of ourselves, we are, Romans chapter 8, we are hostile to God, and we do not submit to God's law. Indeed, we cannot submit to God's law, and, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Mary's valuation of Jesus was pleasing to Jesus, but that can't happen in and of ourselves. We were, by nature, Paul says in Titus chapter 3, we were foolish and we were disobedient, and we were led astray, and we were slaves to various passions and pleasures. We were made for God, but in our sin, we've chosen to be satisfied in other things without God, and that dishonors God. Jeremiah chapter 2 says, this is an evil that appalls the entire heavens. He says, he says my people have forsaken me the fountain of living waters to dig up cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. We don't assess God's value and worth correctly. And so our portion, the portion that we deserve from God, is not this good portion, but it's, it's what John says in Revelation is that the destiny of those who are cowardly and faithless and detestable and murderers, and the sexually immoral, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars, he says their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. That's the portion that we've all earned for ourselves because of our disregard of the worth and the value of Jesus. But it was when we were in that miserable, deserved plight 
that the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior broke through into our rebellious and obstinate hearts. Because if you're here this morning and you value Jesus, if you're here this morning and you could say what I said earlier, I love Jesus, that is because when we were foolish, when we were disobedient, when we were led astray, when we were slaves to various passions, the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, and he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. If you love Jesus, if you would have an inclining, an inclination in your heart to decide to sit with Jesus, it's because God did that kind of miracle for you. He calls it regeneration, being born again, being made new, being made alive spiritually. We sang, you chose this song for us to sing on Thursday night because even when we gather with the elders, praise God, one way that we try to sit at Jesus' feet together before we talk about the, the stuff of the church that needs to be talked about is we sing to Jesus, we sing to the Lord. And so we, we sang, I was blinded by my sin, had no ears to hear your voice, did not know your love within, had no taste for heaven's joys. But then, then your spirit gave me life, opened up your word to me through the gospel of your son, gave me endless hope and peace. That's the good work of God that he has done in our salvation in Jesus the goodness and the loving kindness of God appeared. Jesus is the good shepherd who came bringing good news of peace for sinners. Jesus is the good shepherd who laid down his own life as a substitute for sinners so that we could have life and have life abundantly. On the cross, Jesus willingly took the full portion of that fury of God's wrath that the rebellious will experience in the second death, the lake of fire that burns forever. He bore upon himself the full portion of wrath that was deserved for us so that we who would turn from our sin and trust in Jesus, that we would be brought near to God to have him as our highest joy and as our eternal portion. And if you're here this morning and you've not made that turning, you can make that turning today by recognizing yourself to be one who has turned away from the God who made you and the God who blesses you with every good thing. You can confess today that you have turned against him and that you've dishonored him and rebelled against him by choosing to delight yourself in all these other things apart from him. And if you would see that as the sin and rebellion that it is, and if you would trust in Jesus' death to be your forgiveness, you could have him as your good portion right now today. For all of those who have trusted in Jesus, we say with the psalmist, how precious is your steadfast love. You, you make the children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house and you give them drink from the river of your delights. What a good portion he is. In Jesus, the lines have fallen for us in very pleasant places. Because of Jesus, our God is committed to pursuing us with goodness and mercy 
all the days of our lives. Kids, can you think, is there somebody, a, a, an athlete, an entertainer, a musician, or so, somebody famous that you would just like to meet? Anybody that you could think of? Throw it, yell, yell it out if you could think of a name. Okay, I just, huh? J.T. Realmuto. He plays for the Phillies. I actually know that. What did you say? Ha, huh? Oh, Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill, formerly of those Kansas City Chiefs. But we're not going to talk about that. We're not going to talk about that right now. Tyreek Hill. Anybody else? Who? Bob Ross? I don't know who that is, but some of you do because you're... Anybody else? Another famous person that you would love to meet, kids, huh? Bryce Harper. I can't, now there's lots of names. Can you imagine? Kids, 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 imagine. Th think of that name. I couldn't hear them all. Bryce Harper or Tyreek Hill or JT Realmuto. I don't know who Bob Ross is. Is that an athlete? Is he? What? He's a pa Oh, <laughs> hey, pray. Okay. Imagine, imagine one of these people. You want to meet them so badly. Imagine them coming up to you saying, hey, Noah. Hey, James. Hey, Judah, I want to spend the day with, can you come spend the day with me? That would be amazing if somebody like that would say that. Jesus is way more amazing than any of those people. He actually made those people. He is the one holding up the universe by the word of his power, kids. And this Jesus says to you, kids, you can spend all the time that you want with me. He will never go anywhere. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never fail you. He will always do good to you. And he says, come and have me. Oh, kids, you want this Jesus. He's the good portion. That is what he is for all of us. Is he not, brothers and sisters? Other things are gonna compete for your attention and your affection this week. We must make the decision daily to seek our soul's happiness in the Lord. And I wonder how that sounds to you. We must make a decision. Oh, oh that sounds, that's law, that sounds, uh, this is a super happy decision. In Isaiah, the decision is, he says, Isaiah 55, he says, come, you who are thirsty, come to the waters. It is not a burdensome decision when you're thirsty to go get water, but you have to decide to do it. Jesus, who loves you, who died for you, who rose for you, who sends the Spirit for you, Jesus, who promises to do you good all the days of your life, he says, come to me and let me refresh you. And we have to decide to do that. And it's a very rewarding decision to make. I'll close with, with J.C. Ryle. On verse 42, specifically those words, the good portion which will not be taken away. J.C. Ryle says this, the true Christian's portion is the grace of God. Now I might just say it's Jesus, but I don't want to argue, argue with J.C. Ryle because he's probably, you know, anyway. But he's going to say it as if he's referring to the grace of God, but I'm just going to say he, because I think Jesus is how we experience the grace of God. The true Christian's portion is the grace of God. We might just say Jesus, grace incarnate, but 
this is the good part which he has chosen, the, the true Christian. And he is the only portion which really deserves the name of good. He is the only good thing which is substantial, satisfying, real, and lasting. He is good in sickness and good in health. He is good in youth and he is good in age. He's good in adversity and good in prosperity. He's good in life and he's good in death. He's good in time and he's good in eternity. No circumstance and no position can be imagined in which it is not good for man to have Jesus. The true Christian's possession shall never be taken from him. He alone of all mankind shall never be stripped of his inheritance. Kings must one day leave their palaces. Rich men must one day leave their money and lands. They only hold them until they die. But the poorest saint on earth has a treasure of which he will never be deprived. The grace of God and the favor of Christ are riches which no man can take from him. They will go with him to the grave when he dies. They will rise with him in the resurrection morning and be his to all eternity. And then he asks his reader this question, what do we know of this good part which Mary chose? Brothers and sisters, if you've come to Jesus, you know something of that good portion. And we must choose today and tomorrow and the next day to enjoy him in the midst of a very distracted and hurried world. Everything else can be taken away, right? Our possessions, our smartphones, our houses, our families, our jobs, our ministries, our friends, our health, our retirement portfolios, all of that can be taken away but not your Jesus. And so let's resolve with the Spirit's help to steward this coming week in light of that truth. Love you, brothers and sisters. Heavenly Father, we do ask for your grace and blessing to see Jesus rightly. We thank you for having regenerated us, for us to have any regard and affection for Jesus at all is the fruit of your grace working in our lives. And we pray, Father, that we would give praise to you for that grace and that you would help us to know the Holy Spirit's power. The Holy Spirit loves Jesus. The Holy Spirit delights to magnify Jesus. And so, Father, we ask you to fill us, even as Frank prayed for me uh, 45 minutes ago, that I'm now praying for all of us that you would freshly fill us with your Spirit, that we would rightly regard Jesus, and that we would order our days and our week in light of the great worth and value, surpassing worth, worth that makes all the other things of this world like rubbish by comparison. May we assess our days in light of Jesus' great worth, and may we know the joy to our souls of sitting at his feet and learning from him. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.